morning and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza on this live broadcast from Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Monday, January 15, 2024. Fishermen clash in jungle estate over leadership of a fisheries trade union. The judge said that you wait until I will be call you. During this time, they not wait. They are going to close. The, they are going to close the office and cheer the people within the office out. Well, have this, and Americans mark Martin Luther Day. Some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where you're quest for freedom. And we'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Authorities in Jungle Estates, Bor County, have suspended the operations of a fisheries trade union following a leadership dispute. The acting commissioner of Bor County says different groups claiming the leadership of the union clashed in the town over the weekend. He says the union's office will remain closed until the dispute is resolved. For VOA News, Manyang, David Mayer reports from Juba. Fish traders in Bor say the dispute has affected their businesses as different groups impose conflicting policies that restrict fish traders, particularly foreign traders. Mabiora Thiu, Bor County Acting Commissioner, says the lucrative fish industry has employed thousands of youth who depend on fishing for their livelihoods. He says the power struggle within the leadership of the Fisheries Traders Union could disrupt the fishing industry in Bor Town. This is so-called uh, Fisheries Union. They are uh, have a dispute already. The others are saying there is no constitution. The others are saying there is a constitution. The dispute gone for this time. Now you are in the in the Fisheries Union office. You will go out. And the men of the Fisheries Union say that no, I cannot go out. They go to open the case. The judge says that you wait until I will be call you. During this time, they not wait. They are going to close. The, they are going to close the office and cheer the people within the office out. Atiu says one policeman was wounded when Bor County authorities intervened to restore order at the union office. When the county authority look at this, okay, it will shut down the the the, the office until the case. Will go on. That is why the authorities shut the shut down the office. Businesses are running. They are running now. There's the county uh, person is there. A person is come to him. He rejects it and go. Commercial fishing became popular in Jongle State in 2020 after fish traders discovered a profitable fish market in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Tongbora Chek, the hosted chairperson of the Fisheries Traders Union, says the union's constitution gives him a mandate to lead the union until 2026. They went to Bor County and removed me. I was told to select a caretaker leadership and appointed someone called Major Bat. They came and removed Major by force. They are the one doing this violence. I have tendered my complaint before the High Court. In South Sudan, when you often have opportunities, some people who want to eat jump in to sabotage it. 
Marco Mager, who was installed as the caretaker chairperson of the Fisheries Union, says the group stormed the office of the Fisheries Union on December 29th and forced him out. They told me that if you don't want compl- uh, if you don't want violence, you mo- you go out in the office. Then I say I don't want violence. Then they say, okay, you move out. Should it happen for me to resist? It would have resulted to different things. Some fish traders, like James Monira, who has been in the business for seven months, say they are bearing the brunt of the leadership struggle within the fisheries union. The Nisha used to buy fish from them. People would bring the fish from the, the riverside and you buy direct from them. And you buy the, the quality, the, the fish that you, you can be able to see. But they, they came up with the policies whereby you buy the, 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 the full bottle of fish, whereby you don't know what is inside. So you, sometimes you buy that bottle and find it, the fish is not in good quality, as it used to be. That's how it has affected us. Boer County Acting Commissioner says traders from South Sudan's neighboring countries can now buy fish directly from fishermen and women. For VOA News, Amanyang David Mayer in Juba. Still on fish matters, Congo Basin, which spans six African countries, is the world's second largest rainforest. In one of these states, the Republic of Congo burning basin wood for traditional fish smoking has depleted the forest and caused serious health problems in people. Researchers are looking at ways to counter these effects. VOA's Vincent McCory narrates the story prepared by Brice Kinghall from Port Noir. In the Republic of Congo, public markets like this one in the coastal city of Port Noir are often crowded with stalls selling smoked fish at around $4 a kilogram. Smoking this fish requires a lot of wood and high demand for fuel has contributed to the decline of the city's coastal mangroves. And as mangrove supplies are depleted, loggers are allegedly turning inland to the rainforest, according to the Resoy Foundation, an environmental organization. You can spend hours smoking fish if there's too much fat, but if there's not too much fat, it doesn't take long. As for the wood, it depends on the quantity of fish. If there isn't much, it takes a bit of wood, but when there's a lot, it also takes a lot of wood. Point Noir's population has nearly doubled over the past 11 years, and fish smokers like Lorian say more wood is needed to meet the high demand for fish. The same markets also sell charcoal and firewood, leading to even more trees being cut down. Fabrice Kifani, a woodcutter who works independently, says he sells wood to a Beninese community in Point Noir, specializing in fish smoking. Kifani works illegally without authorization to cut trees. Mangrove wood is cut into 30-centimeter pieces and sold to the Viennese community to smoke fish. The businessmen also use firewood to make barbecues. They are cut into meter-long pieces. The trees around us are also used to make charcoal. Innovators have proposed alternative solutions such as more efficient gas ovens to reduce the smoking time and the dependence on firewood. Fish smoker Lorian, who suffers from health problems due to fish smoking, says she is ready to switch. 
If the ovens can enable us to smoke in a short span of time, women will benefit. Officials from the Fauna and Flora Protection Service say they haven't studied in depth the impact of fish smoking on the environment. But back in 2007, a World Bank study found that every person in the Republic of Congo was using about one cubic meter of wood annually for a total countrywide consumption of 100 million cubic meters. The Association for the Defense of Consumers' Rights in Congo has also warned about informal logging and its impact on the environment. But despite these warnings, wood fuel is still the go-to for 86.7% of the population in the Kalu district, which includes Pointe Noir. According to district data, in 2021 alone, people burned 13,913 metric tons of firewood and 8,967 metric tons of charcoal. For Brice Kino in Pointe Noir, the Republic of the Congo, Vincent McCory, VOA News. From the Republic of Congo, we come back to Washington here, where thousands of protesters gathered for a march for Gaza rally as the Israeli Hamas war reached 100 days. The march was part of a global protest demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. Saqib al-Islam has more. We demand a ceasefire! Tens of thousands of protesters from around the United States gathered in Washington for the March for Gaza rally on Saturday, demanding a ceasefire in Gaza and a halt to U.S. aid to Israel. They should immediately uh, cease all funding to Israel. Uh, They should cease all uh, assistance to Israel. And they should demand a ceasefire today. My name is Ishmael. Several Palestinian Americans offered emotional accounts of friends and relatives killed or wounded in Gaza. Farah Mahmoud says she has lost three family members in the ongoing violence. I think a lot of people have become more aware of what's happening because of the protests, because we're using our voices to bring awareness, and our voice is the most powerful thing that we could do. Along with Arab Americans, many Jewish, Christian, and other faith organizations attended the rally, which was part of a global day of pro-Palestinian marches in several major cities. Over 800 of us have signed a letter to the president. The event featured remarks by political leaders, White House and congressional staffers, and many faith leaders. We say ceasefire now. Let us use that same force to leverage our voting block in 2024 and re-elect people who represent us and vote out those who misrepresent us. Ceasefire now. Ceasefire now. Protesters here say they demand an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza. And many Jewish citizens here, they say that what happens in Gaza will impact how they vote in next U.S. presidential elections. I'm not voting for Biden or Trump. I'm going to vote for someone third party. I will never vote Democratic or Republican. Yeah, remain never. At the end of the rally, protesters marched towards the White House, although President Joe Biden was at the Camp David presidential retreat. The main purpose of this rally today, which is historic in nature and in size, we believe it is the largest pro-Palestine demonstration and rally 
in the history of the United States is to express solidarity with the people of Gaza and the people of Palestine. The Israel-Hamas war began on October 7 last year after Hamas militants launched a terror attack on Israel, killing 1,200 people and taking about 240 hostages. The Israeli military response in the wake of that brutality has killed more than 23,000 Palestinians. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is vowing to continue Israel's war against Hamas, a U.S.-designated terror group, until it is defeated. Saqib al-Islam. VOA News, Washington. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, Americans mark Martin Luther Jr. Day. That story is coming right after the break. is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in Focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Hey folks, I'm Mark Bill Yabarro, and I have some electrifying news for you. AFCON 2023 is here, and I'll be at Ivory Coast covering all things AFCON for VOA Africa. We'll have exciting coverage on radio, TV, and all of our digital platforms. Make sure you check out voaafrica.com for AFCON updates. Stay locked right here on VOA Africa. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Iowa Republican voters gathered this week to select their delegates they plan to send to their respective parties' national conventions ahead of presidential elections in November this year. But this year, Mother Nature may have other plans. VOA's Arisha Rapsati has this story. Winter weather whites out parts of Iowa ahead of the 2024 presidential primary season. An extended freeze along with strong winds and unrelenting snow could affect voter turnout for the state's first-in-the-nation Republican caucuses, where voters determine which candidates might gain political power and earn their party's nomination for the presidency of the United States. The preliminary path to the presidency has run through Iowa since 1972, but with some forecasters calling for wind chills of minus 43 degrees Celsius, conditions may become life-threatening for those fulfilling their civic duties. The weather has prompted calls to reschedule the meeting slated for Monday. It's going to be difficult traveling, and so it's better to cancel the event, not even so much because of the the candidate not being able to get there, but because you really don't want to put a lot of people uh, in a way of hazards of driving and slippery and snowy conditions. The band of brutal weather threatens millions in the U.S. and has even caused the rescheduling of a National Football League playoff game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Buffalo Bills. The host team, the Bills, posted scenes from the field on social media. Meanwhile, the campaign of Republican frontrunner former President Donald Trump canceled all but one in-person rally, opting instead for tele-rallies meeting with voters at smaller campaign stops, according to ABC News. 
Iowa's Des Moines Register reports Trump holds a commanding lead of 48 percent among likely Republican caucus goers, so severe weather probably won't affect him. It's a different story for Trump's leading challengers, like former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who served as Trump's U.N. ambassador. Haley currently polls at around 20 percent, up four points from December, according to the Des Moines Register. Once thought to be Trump's likeliest challenger for the nomination, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis continues dropping in the polls, now registering at 16 percent, according to the local publication. No other Republican candidate breaks into double-digit approval, with biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy coming closest at 8 percent, again, according to the Des Moines Register. Ahead of a three-day weekend with a federal holiday marking the birthday of slain civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., some Iowans say they're happy for something to do, with or without politics. There's not as much to do in the winter, especially, but you can make your own fun, like out here sledding with your friends, whatever. So it's a, it's a great time. The head of the Iowa Republican Party told the Daily Mail that only a massive national disaster would prompt rescheduling of Monday's Iowa caucuses, citing clear skies for the Republican Party. Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. Every January, the United States observes Martin Luther King Day or MLK Day to mark the birthday of the prominent civil rights leader who fought to end racial segregation. VOA's Anthony Labruto visited some of the famous landmarks in D.C. where Dr. King rallied his supporters in the early 60s that are still respected today. Coinciding with the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, Dr. King rallied his supporters alongside those who were in support of civil rights legislation proposed by then-President John F. Kennedy. Martin Luther King's famous 17-minute I Have a Dream speech conveyed African Americans' anger with racial segregation, which denied them the right to achieve the American dream of upward social mobility and freedom of movement within the United States. Drawing from his own experiences of racism, Dr. King hoped to inspire his supporters, as well as the United States Congress, to look forward toward the future and achieve the dream of racial equality. The speech is widely considered to be one of the most powerful and cited in American history. In 2011, the United States National Park Service dedicated the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial on the National Mall, making Dr. King the first African American to have his own dedicated memorial, as well as the fourth non-U.S. president to have their own memorial. With the physical address of 1964 Independence Avenue to mark the year of the signing of the Civil Rights Act, the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial is steeped in symbolism. The two large mountains in the center of the memorial are meant to embody a mountain of despair, with a contrasting colored stone carving of Dr. King meant to be the stone of hope that looks out over the tidal basin onto the horizon. Along the outer edges of the main statue are quotations of Dr. Martin Luther King made throughout his life and career as a civil rights activist. Anthony Labruto, VOA News, Washington. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. And uh, here are some sports news. It's the third day of the African Nations Cup or AFCON in Ivory Coast. My colleague Mokbil Yabaru is on a special assignment to cover the tournament. He had the opportunity of speaking with the U.S. ambassador as well as the U.S. delegation comprising 
of seasoned athletes to the tournament. For more about his interviews and the latest developments regarding AFCON, Peter Clody spoke with Mokbil in the Ivorian commercial capital, Abidjan. So yesterday uh, I was able to have the pleasure of uh, going to the U.S. Embassy um, and, and sitting down and conversing with this uh, delegation, this sports delegation that President Biden has put together uh, to strengthen uh, relationships and partnerships uh, with the continent and specifically in particular at the moment uh, with Ivory Coast. Um, yeah, it, I, it was uh, Lisa Leslie. She, she is probably one of the most uh, well-known uh, WNBA figures of all time. Uh, she's a four-time Olympic uh, medalist, um, Hall of Famer, and we also had uh, Crystal Dunn, who is one of the faces, one of the uh, faces of the U.S. women's national soccer team, um, as well as uh, Chine Ogwemike, um, who is a two-time WNBA All-Star and an ESPN host. She actually was the first black ESPN host, uh, black woman host uh, in ESPN in 2020. So, yeah, sat down with them. They are amazing. They're having a great time in Ivory Coast. Crystal's uh, um, husband is actually born in Ivory Coast, so she is an honorary Ivorian. Uh, all in all, they're, they're having a great time. They actually said that they wanted to extend their stay uh, because they're here for such a short time. Are they enjoying the soccer games, as they call it, in America? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Crystal Dunn, being a soccer player herself, obviously is enjoying it maybe a little more because she understands it from a tactical and professional perspective. Uh, perspective because she is an expert and a professional at the highest level in women's sports so uh of, of the of that specific sport in soccer but the other two are very elite basketball uh stars so they understand what it takes to get to that level so they're just appreciating uh what it means uh to be here to to be invited uh to watch this afcon and uh chine actually is uh chine is actually a um a nigerian american and uh, she's, you know, it, it was a difficult time for her um, f f to see her team not be able to get that first win. So uh, I, I know she'll be uh, on the lookout. Mm. Now, Mugwil, I, I know there are some games coming up shortly, but what other games are we looking up to? Although uh, a very festive occasions, some are licking their wounds because they lost. Right. No, absolutely. So if I were to say some of the games that folks are looking forward to, um, I, I would say Senegal-Gambia uh, coming up would, would have to be uh, a big one that's happening uh, shortly. Um, another one, possibly Angola-Algeria. Um, and then uh, Morocco and Tanzania because folks want to see where Morocco is, how they come off and start off in the tournament, you know. Exactly how you mentioned. Uh, some folks are licking their wounds. Egypt is one of those teams that got very, very lucky towards the end of that game. Mozambique played a tremendous game uh, and were able to... You, you know, the, the challenge about that game, uh, Peter, was that you go down 1-0 to a monstrous Egyptian team in the second minute of the game. So not only were Mozambique able to get their minds right, 
score to equalize, but they scored to go ahead within a three-minute differential. So they scored their goal by Witte in the 55th minute, and then Clisio scored in the 58th minute, um, and they held it up until extra time, where a costly mistake by one of their defenders uh, caused Mohamed Salah, Mo Salah, the legend, to go to the penalty line, and uh, that PK spot for him is, is money. That was my colleague Mokbel Yabaro speaking from Abidjan. You can keep up to date with all the Afghan news at voaafrica.com. Also, check out the sunny side of sports for detailed coverage. Later this week, look for our Kicking It Afghan podcast. That's all we prepared for you this Monday, January 15, 2024. We now leave you with Emmanuel Kembe and the song Zaman Kuruju Ya. Zaman Kuruju Ya. We've been listening to Emmanuel Kembe and the song Zamanta Kurujuja, which means it's time for us to go farming. I'm your host, John Tanza, on this live broadcast from Studio 14 here in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Ofori, and engineer, Hang, we wish you a lovely evening. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from The Voice of America. An editorial reflecting American ideals and institutions. On the third Monday of each January, Americans honor the memory of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Reverend King was a Baptist minister from the southern state of Alabama and a leader in the fight against racial inequality in the United States. Reverend King died by an assassin's bullet on April 4, 1968, at the age of 39. On January 15th, he would have celebrated his 95th birthday. 
Reverend King lived in a time when racial discrimination was rife in many parts of the United States. For nearly a full century after the end of the Civil War, most of the African-American population was subject to so-called Jim Crow laws that in effect denied them the rights that go with full citizenship. Taking inspiration from the Christian Bible as well as from Russian writer Leo Tolstoy and Indian activist Mahatma Gandhi, Reverend King organized and participated in nonviolent mass action boycotts, sit-ins, peaceful marches, and other acts of civil disobedience. Hoping to draw attention to the inherent unfairness of Jim Crow laws, African-American activists sometimes deliberately, but peacefully and respectfully, broke laws aimed at segregating whites from non-whites. And although it was a long, tough fight, their efforts bore fruit. In 1964, the U.S. Congress passed and President Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act, which outlawed segregation in public places, as well as employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, gender or national origin. Dr. Martin Luther King was born into a nation where segregation was a tragic fact of life, said President Joe Biden. He had every reason to believe, as others of the generation did, that history had already been written, that the division would be America's destiny. But he rejected that outcome, said President Biden. Often when people hear about Dr. King, people think of his ministry and the movement, or most about the epic struggle for civil rights and voting rights. But we do well to remember that his mission was something even deeper. It was spiritual. It was moral, said President Biden. It's when we see each other as neighbors and not enemies that progress and justice come. Progress is never easy, but it's always possible. And things do get better on our march toward a more perfect union. That was an editorial reflecting American ideals and institutions.